Yes, hello, and welcome to the AW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide list, as voted by wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice, support the podcast financially on Red Circle, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, such as One Nation Radio, Keeping It Strong Style, All Things Elite, and the Grave Consequences Podcast that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. Mike Vesper today is making his second appearance on the show, Howard Schilling, and we're looking at Sting and Darby Allen versus Team Taz in a street fight from Revolution 2021. How are you going today, Howard? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks for having me on again. How are you doing today? Very well, very well. I'm excited to get into the second cinematic match that we've covered here on the the Match Guide podcast, and a, one with a very different tone to the the um, stampede, the stadium stampede that we spoke about at the end of season one. So uh, I'm interested to get in, do some contrast, but I think this is a is a, is a match with its own strengths as well, which are, it's going to be fun to talk to you about. Uh, but firstly, the the first question I've got to ask you, normally I will ask, of course, how did you get into AEW? But this is the second time you've been on the podcast. So if people want to hear that, they can go back to the first time where we spoke about Cody versus MJF. And... Cody versus MJF. It just slipped my mind for a second. There, mate. Um, but so what I wanted to ask, I guess, for today is why did you pick this match? So I picked this match because Sting is my all-time favorite wrestler, and Darby Allen is one of my current favorite wrestlers. When I was looking through the matches and stuff like that, wanted to make sure that I could have a match that I could have an emotional connection to. And two of my favorite wrestlers kind of throughout history in one match, it was an easy pick. Yep. Well, you know what? Ricky Starks is one of my favorite wrestlers going around at the moment. So um, we're, we're all about that. This is a great match to – I'm glad you picked it, and it's going to be a great match to break down. Before we get into it, the first thing we do here on the AEW Match Guide is give the match its flowers. Unfortunately, Dave Meltzer did not rate it because he doesn't rate cinematic matches. The old Dunderman, the old board, board man, the old <laughs> stick-in-the-mud Dave Meltzer. Um, but Cage Match 2, they've rated it 7.87. And on the original – the first definitive match guide. This came in 24th. Uh, so a match that is held in a in a high regard, if not you know an all time uh, as an all timer, but it is held in a high regard amongst the fandom and amongst the community. Uh, and I think there's there's many reasons for that, and we're going to get into them today. But one of them, of course, is as you said, um, this is a match with some big names in it. Um, none more so than Sting. Um, and we're going to get into his injection into this program first, but the person that Sting was com- was partnered with is Darby Allen, who had actually been feuding with Team Taz for nearly a year in the lead-up to this match, a, a real long-term sort of feud that was going on. Um, it initially began when Darby rejected the offer of Taz to train and mentor him. That happened um, around ju- just before Double or Nothing um, 2020, and things really kicked off in the ring when Brian Cage debuted at that pay-per-view uh, uh, with Taz as his manager. 
and immediately targeted Darby Allen. Um, and while throughout that year, Darby Allen would pursue other goals, um, such as the he had a match for the AEW title with John Moxley, uh, and also he won the TNT title against another long-term rival, Cody Rhodes. Um, constantly throughout 2020, um, he would have Team Taz as like a thorn in his side, be it Brian Cage, be it Ricky Starks, be it Powerhouse Hobbs, be it Hook. Um, they were just a constant presence showing up around Darby Allen. Um, before we get to that injection of Sting, what did you think of the rivalry that Darby Allen had with Team Taz? Did, did anything sort of stick out to you as part of it? So Darby's rivalry with Team Taz is almost a tale as old as time. It's a classic David versus Goliath story, especially when you infuse the machine Brian Cage, <laughs> one of the more... I'll say he's one of the more polarizing wrestlers um, that are around today just because, you know, their his work rate and everything like that has its own group of fans. I personally enjoy his matches, but him throwing like Darby Allen through a ladder in the uh, what was it? The uh, poker chip It was the ladder yep. match. Um, yeah, the, it was the. The double or nothing casino ladder match. Casino ladder match. Him throwing Darby through a ladder. Just, you knew this was going to be an uphill battle for Darby. And one of the good things that Darby Allen is amazing at, he does really good fighting from underneath. His expressions, his mannerisms, and everything like that. He's one of the most talented wrestlers in the world today. And him slowly but surely never giving up finding inventive ways to get one over on team Taz as you know Ricky Spurs came into the fold and later on as powerhouse Hobbs came into the fold you knew eventually he was going to need some help but he wasn't exactly you know doing poorly on his own and I think the addition of the icon the man they call Sting was a brilliant masterstroke Mm. We, we will get into that in a moment um for, for myself i th- there's a few moments that really stick out with me um the thumbtacks in the body bag i think that was all out when that happened um the casino battle royale they did it at all out where or maybe something else no it was the casino battle royale where they they stuck him in a body bag with thumbtacks in there and Brian Cage just yeeted him out of the ring. That was just sick looking. Um, also, early on after in in, the, in their program, when uh, Darby Allen got thumbtacks uh, on the bottom of his skateboard and skated on the back of um, Ricky Starks, which just looked completely gnarly. And also another thing, awesome thing that Ricky Starks did was Ricky Starks was one of the first people to come out dressed as him um, with the face paint and with a, with a shirt. And, of course, because Ricky Starks is someone who always dresses up in such an impressive way um, and with so much swagger, when he came out, you know, in his emo getup, I guess, it was, it was very funny to me. Um, but I guess more more substanti- substantively, uh, I, I really liked how – Darby Allen, uh, his rivalry with Team Taz dovetailed with John Moxley's rivalry with Team Taz. Uh, particularly, Mox had that program with Brian Cage, um, which happened after Brian Cage won that ladder match. Uh, and then after that happened, and, and at that time, Allen was having a 
that was when he was having his matches with Ricky Starks. And then afterwards, um, they sort of, Darby Allen helped John Moxley out with dealing with Brian Cage and dealing with Team Taz. And then that dovetailed into him getting a title shot. And then afterwards, it was actually, even though eventually it was Cody that um, got turned on by Powerhouse Hobbs, it was actually John Moxley who initially set up um, there was going to be a three-way match uh, that would have been Darby Allen, Powerhouse Hobbs, and John Moxley teaming together, which ended up being Cody and Powerhouse Hobbs and Darby Allen against Team Taz. So it, I really liked how it dovetailed. It felt very natural, uh, and and I love the partnership and sort of the relationship that Darby Allen and John Moxley have got. They're kind of, uh, you know, it's it's a big brother, little brother sort of right sort of partnership or uncle and or even almost father and son. I know um, later on in this season, me and Ms. Fan are actually going to talk about their match that they had. So I won't get too into that, but I love the the little rivalry with it. Uh, rivalry and, but also respect, um, bond of respect that those two have together. Uh, and, and I liked that, how that sort of fed into the team Taz rivalry that Darby Allen had. Uh, but as you mentioned, um, this, Rivalry was really taken to another level um, when at Winter is Coming, we would get in December 2020, we would get the debut of Sting to save Darby Allen. He came out after um, Cody, Dustin Rhodes, uh, Arn Anderson and Darby Allen were getting beaten down by Team Taz. Uh, and it was an absolutely huge entrance. There was fake snow, um, the theme song. It, it got a lot of social media traction. Uh, it was the big moment from that event. Of course, um, later in the in the evening, Kenny Omega would beat John Moxley for the AEW Championship. But alongside that, Sting debuting was the big moment. Um, Howard, you mentioned that Sting was your favourite wrestler growing up um, and is possibly your favourite wrestler of all time. Uh, what What's your history, I guess, with Sting, like, growing up and everything? And then what did you think of this debut? So I've watched Sting since I wrestling was. Growing up, my family, my mom and I always watched uh, WCW back when they had the old WCW Superstar Series tapes. My mom got me Sting's, and I think I actually wore that tape out. Um, I was a fan of his surfer days, um, his crow days, um, when he was fighting the NWO. When I actually uh, went to school at West Virginia University, I adopted that makeup for some of the bigger games, only I would do the blue and gold face paint, um, just because his work is something that, I really admire uh, when he got when I found out that he came on with TNA Impact um, after WCW was purchased. Um, I followed him there and everything like that. He had a great career renaissance there. Loved his work with WWE. Was sorry that you know came to an end prematurely, and then him walking out just randomly with Tony Schiavone. Someone who has called so many, too many of his great moments <laughs> and matches to count. It's Him doing Sting. took that debut to another level. I think Jim Ross and Excalibur would have called it great, but someone with the history mm. that the great Tony Schiavone has with Sting, he was the only one that could put it over the top. 
the like you said, the snow falling. The idea that, you know, the old concept, winter is coming. It's Darby Allen's been fighting for so long against Team Taz. His own winter is coming. But then writing in, to use a, a term that's been thrown around, from the north. Hi, WWE. Um, <laughs> but writing in from the north, winter was actually coming for Team Taz as he comes out. I think... The only thing that could have made it better, because this happened in 2020, the Mm. only thing that made this debut better was if it would have been in front of a packed crowd. I can't imagine what kind of reaction that would have gotten. It would have blown the roof off the place. But I think it was really well done overall. Yeah, I I love the video package with, like, the crow and the snowy because it was of course lights down the crow comes up and it's just that epic guitar line the uh and then it comes in with the crunching guitars the jink 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 and they don't play that theme enough and for good reason like it's a it's a long theme and a lot and a really epic entrance but as a full presentation the first time I was like, wow, this this looks good. And, you know, I'm – you obviously, you love Sting. I've got very little history with Sting. Like, my history with Sting is next to nothing. I never watched WCW when I was growing up because I, you know, I wasn't a fan of wrestling until WCW was well and truly over. Um, So I'd pick – I'd watch the odd thing. I liked the stuff he did with Mick Foley because I love Mick Foley. Um, But, you know, I'd never deep deep, deep – dove into sting so i'd seen the wwe stuff and i knew he was a legendary figure um i'd seen the odd 10 but i wasn't emotionally invested in him and if anything this is something that i was very hesitant about because one of the things that drove me off and really turned me off the wwe was having guys like the undertaker constantly coming in and taking not only taking the place uh in in main events and things like that but being the ones that beat down and and subjugate and get put over by the people that I think are the stars. Um, you know, the, the biggest, most glaring example I can think of is Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar, um, the way that they got tra- he got treated. And then not only in the WrestleMania 30, um, WrestleMania 32 match that they had, but then the Royal Rumble the year after, Dean Ambrose was just a guy in that to Goldberg the Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. Um, so the way that WWE had booked these people made me very hesitant, hesitant with Sting debuting. But man, I was blown away by the presentation on this. The, like, what an entrance! Felt so epic. Um, and because at this point as well, while I was hesitant, AEW had my trust um, that they knew what they were doing. They, you know, they'd managed to do things with Art Anderson that was and Jake Roberts that were not egregious, I thought. Um, even the way they treated Matt Hardy up to that point had not been egregious. You know, Sting's a couple years older than Matt Hardy. Um, a few, he's had a few more winters. Um, but, you know, they'd sort of built my trust up, and I knew that it could be done because you can see you watch, like, New Japan, for example. They know how to how to make have the veterans working alongside the younger guys and not not having them going over stars but still remaining stars uh, and using that star power to elevate the younger guys. So I was I was hesitant 
there was part of me that was like, oh, I don't know about this. But I was I had the trust and I was absolutely blown away by the presentation. Also, really quick, um, shout out to Mikey Ruckus oh, yeah. for all of these themes. Like he keeps churning out even in the present day. Um, you know, I'm going to break kayfabe first this time. Um, so if that's OK with you, we're recording this on June 15th, <laughs> uh, 2022. I don't know when this is coming out, but like he's created so many absolute bangers for you know all the talent that's come aboard mm. since um and i believe he produced uh arrival which is the name of uh the song but i think he produced this as well shout out mikey ruckus you are an absolute god thank you so much for all the work that you do um but yeah it's like you said that i was a little bit hesitant as well um about where they were going to place him staying on the card and everything like that but you know i think we're all kind of desensitized that we're a little bit uh gun shy i think when it comes to debuting wrestlers especially the older generation mm. okay where are they gonna put them so i understand your um concerns trust me i was hoping that they wouldn't you know as much as i love sting his place isn't winning the aw world championship i hoped that they used him as a mentor role and I am pleased to say I've, I, 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 I'm so glad that they did this mm. with him. Well, it took me a little bit of a while to, a little bit longer to come around on this whole thing, because um, moving forward, like that initial hesitancy I had was not helped by two things. Firstly, um, this sort of feud and the build up towards this match we're talking about. I'm going to have a lot of positive things to say about the match, but. It was not a good build. There was constantly, week in, week out, there was more or less the same segment where Darby Allen would be in the ring. There would be something would happen. He would have won a match or something. Team Taz would come out and beat him up, and then the snow would fall, the lights would go out, and Sting would chase them off, chase them off. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't just because I didn't like the fact that guys like Brian Cage and Ricky Starks, who are – Genuine stars in the company at the time. Ricky Starks still is uh, and is a guy who I think should be heading towards the top of the very top of the company. Brian Cage, he's not necessarily up the top, but he is a guy who is meant to be dangerous. He is a guy who is meant to be powerful. He's not a guy that should be getting run off by a 62-year-old who's you know got a baseball bat, but they've got the, the numbers on him. And that happened for a number of weeks. And it also didn't help by the fact that I didn't actually think Sting and Darby Allen were a good pairing. I did not I did not think they had anything in common beyond the fact that they both wore face paint. Uh, like, I don't – I've since been proven wrong on this, but I thought that Darby Allen, he is much more like a guy like John Moxley. Um, you know, he he's a reckless guy. He is a guy who – will take a beating uh, and constantly fire back. He's a guy who marches to the beat of his own drum. To me, Sting, his character doesn't mesh with Darby Allens uh, or, or didn't. And and I did not like that pairing initially because I felt like this is purely an aesthetic choice. Yes, they both wear similar face paint, but that's not a reason to actually pair two people together. Um, Darby Allen, in my mind, is much more of a loner. Uh, he is not a guy who would accept the help of this man. 
I can see that. I, I'm going to take off, you know, my fan glasses here. I'm actually going to do that. No, feel free. Feel free to disagree with me because I was in a minority. There was lots of people who loved this pairing straight off the bat. So I'll, I'll say that I was one of those people. But that being said, looking at things, I can see where you're coming from there. Um, let's face it, on the surface level, the only thing that Darby and Sting have in common is, like you said, they wear face paint and they also love the color black um, in their clothing choices. Um a lot of and wrestlers I love the color black. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I also, I will say this, um, I wholeheartedly agree with the repetitive nature of the statements. This build for this match, very, very uninspiring. Um, I am a fan of Ricky Starks, not as big a fan of him as you are, but Ricky Starks back in 2020, back in 2019, as he was coming up through the NWA. And even today in 2022, he's still got star written all over him. Um, And I hope that he does end up finding a way into, as much as I love the concept of the FTW title, that he's currently got at time of recording. I sincerely hope that we are talking one day in the future about TNT champion, um, All Atlantic champion, or maybe one day AEW World Champion Ricky Stark. So I, I will firmly, you know, get behind any support for Ricky Starks. He's got that innate charisma. Um, like you said, Brian Cage, as powerful as he is, they call him a machine for a reason. I'll freely admit, Sting 62. He should not be running off a 320 some odd pound wrecking ball. With a Louisville slugger, uh, that that is where the disconnect does come into play, and I will. Agree I get it. With you there. I got it the first time because it is like it's a shocking thing. Cody and Arn were also in the in the ring, um, you know, a lot going on, and and Sting does have an aura. Like I'm, I'm not getting away from that, and that aura is enhanced by that entrance that he has, but. Um, yeah. The law of diminishing returns applies in this situation. Hundred, that's that's it. That's exactly it. The law of diminishing returns applied, and uh, they diminished that that one that one beat many times. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will say one thing, two things that that I think they did well. There was one one week where Sting was the one in the ring, and uh, Alan actually repelled from the top of Daly's place. So they kind of inverted it a little bit. That was great. That was a great moment. Uh, and then also the week before the actual match itself, Sting actually got physical. Um, I think I think the week before that they might have actually put a beating on him a little bit. So, but the week before he actually did the Stinger splashes, and it was it was the first time we'd seen him move in the ring, and it was like, oh, we've got something here. This guy has got a bit of spring in his step that we did not expect that I did not expect to see. And I think a lot of people, did neither not did I. Yeah. Um, I, I am a sting Mark. I did not expect him to be able to move, especially with the neck injury that caused his first retirement. I, the only thing I want is for professional wrestlers these days to be safe. They put their lives on the line for our entertainment and when it comes to neck and back issues, the last thing I want, one false move, I know it could be over. 
So I was really surprised to see him move like that in the ring. I was happy, but I was surprised. And at the time, that was kind of the reason that we were given for, well, at least the reason that we sort of assumed that they were doing a cinematic match here. Um, so it was billed as a street fight, but it was done as a cinematic match. Um, and it was, you know, did two things. Firstly, it <coughs> it allowed them to sort of work around those perceived limitations that Sting might have. Um, and also, I guess, ensure that they were protecting him from himself in 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 terms of injury, potential injuries. Because, um, you know, guy's 62, you know. And, and at the time, the last time he had wrestled, was he he ended up with a big neck injury which is not something you want to be messing with when you're at that age uh and and secondly as well it actually it allowed them to set the ring up for the exploding barbed wire death match which happened straight afterwards so <laughs> gave them time for you know serve two purposes there um I, I before we get into the actual match itself the only other thing i wanted to bring up was a, a promo that i just found absolutely hilarious and i was reminded of it watching through here there where the one where darby allen and sting i'm not sure if you remember this one howard they're they're sitting in a warehouse they're sitting, standing in like a warehouse and uh sting's like you called us hoodlums and then darby allen comes up and he's like i am a hoodlum and he throws his skateboard at the window <laughs> And it's meant to be like that they're in the warehouse, but it's just so obviously a set. Like when Darby Allen throws his skateboard, it, it hits the wall that's on the other side and falls down. And then Sting just starts randomly. Sting goes, I guess we are hoodlums. And then just starts randomly smashing glass behind. And it's just the most bizarre. Every time I see it, I just laugh. Because I, I kind of get Darby's lines, but Sting's just, they they sound so fake and then him him and so forced and him bashing the glass is just so corny like it, it was it, it was not it the fact that i'm laughing at it shows it was meant to be like some sort of badass tough thing of like we're hoodlums we don't care we're gonna we're gonna take you guys think you guys are pretty boys you guys are you know think that you're better than us well, we don't care because we're going to embrace the fact that we're hoodlums. But <laughs> it just did not come off that way <laughs> one bit. Sting, Bubby, you're not a hoodlum. You're 62 years old. Yeah. I know you want to the support your young The fact that they were calling them hoodlums at all. Who says hoodlum like a 62-year-old does? <laughs> Apparently. But Sting, Bubby, you're not a hoodlum. You're, I understand you wanting to go to Hot Topic to support your young son's art. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> but Bubby, you're not a hoodlum. And also that whole bat, God, the bat smashing the windows was peak old man. Please get off my lawn territory. Yeah. I think. Like, you're not cool, okay, Dad. Now you're not I gotta cool. show I'm tough. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. <laughs> And it didn't even – the bat didn't even break the windows most yeah. of the time. And it's like – it's so obviously a set oh. – anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that up because uh, I – re-watching it, I was reminded again of how hilarious and, and silly I it was. I actually just watched it before we started talking too. And, uh, like, <laughs> I will say that the only redeeming quality of that promo, apart from the comedy factor, the unintentional comedy factor – the lasting shot is the TNT championship being solitarily in the background. This is meant to be a street fight. No championships are on the line. This isn't about glory or anything like that. 
this is supposed to be a fight where people are going to get hurt. Then they had to ruin it with the talking. Um, but the lasting image of the TNT title just hanging there alone in the background, I think, was supposed to convey how serious this was supposed to be. Mm. Yeah, he's leaving it, leaving it to the side for a night and uh, getting into some serious work. Uh, and that, work. that brings us to the actual match itself. Um, they on the night it was at Revolution, of course, Revolution pay per view. It was the second last match of the night, uh, and I was excited for this match, even though I've you know spent a bunch of time you know not not necessarily super high on the build up. Uh, you know the people involved, Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, and Darby Allen. Like I have immense trust in those guys being able to get it done, and the fact they were doing a cinematic match said to me that like they'll be able to make it work for Sting. Uh, so I was I was enthusiastic uh, and and excited to see what they would do in this. Uh, how were you feeling going in, Howard? Honestly, I was intrigued. It's my favorite wrestler's first match back after retiring due to a serious neck injury. I don't care if it's cinematic or not. There's a mm. hundred ways this can go wrong. As much mm. as I trust literally everyone in the match. Because I know Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, Darby Allen, they're all incredibly safe workers. You can be the safest worker on the planet. You can put as many protective illusions and smoke and mirrors as you want. You're always nervous. And I think actually in the build, didn't Sting actually take a powerbomb from Brian Cage before this? I yeah. want to say he did in the lead up. Yep. And I think everyone was kind of holding their collective breath that mm. he was going to be okay after that. But still, I was intrigued, but I'll be lying if I said that I didn't have a lot of high hopes for this match. Mm. Yep. I'll really admit it. Yeah. Uh, they had a had a really good video package outlining sort of the feud that we, we've just spent time going over. It was a nice, few, a nice video package, had some good music to it. Um, and ta- once they got to the actual presentation, Taz joins them on the commentary, um, says he was banned from attending by Tony Khan, which is a nice touch just to explain why he's not there, because, of course, he'd be there if he if he could. The opening shots of Ricky Starks and Brian Cage um, heading to the warehouse uh, there or an, at an undisclosed location. Um, they hop into a Lamb- what looks like a Lamborghini together, like a – you know, a really nice looking sports car and drive over. Um, there's immediately, it's obvious, you know, this is really heavily stylized in terms of the way it's shot and there's music going on in the background. Um, next thing it cuts from those guys to black and white and it's sting in a truck turns up the radio, uh, and playing on the radio is Darby's entrance music. And then that cuts to Darby skateboarding down some Hills, uh, and then cutting to the warehouse, uh, and an army of people in face paint sort of heralding the arrival of Darby Allen and Sting when they get there. What did you think of the intro, Howard? Like you said, you laid it out perfectly, Sam. The complete contrast in the entrances. You've got Team Taz in their fine sports car. They're slicked back. They are ready to go. And then you have the beat-up truck, the pickup truck, Darby Allen's riding on the back. I think Adam Blompier from uh, Parks Unknown or Wrestle Talk um, said something like it was if a certain like direct Sam Raimi had directed like Back to the Future or something like that. 
with Darby <laughs> hanging onto the back of the pickup truck um, and skateboarding in. The, um, as you said, the people in the face paint, let's call them the Army of Hoodlums, <laughs> heralding the arrival um, of Sting and Darby. You can tell that they're not the same. They're not supposed to be presented as the same. I mean, they're four world-class competitors, mm. but Ricky and Brian Cage, they're the finer things in life. It's mm. If you squint really hard... You can see echoes of, you know, Four Horsemen style versus Sting fighting. Mm. You know, he's just the everyday man. Whereas Sting and or whereas Cage and uh, Starks, they like the finer things in life. They got the mm. expensive shirts and everything Matching like that. Matching uniforms. Exactly, but they still can kick your ass. Yep. In the ring. So yeah, I thought I- that was a wonderful contrast. I loved how immediately they established the tone uh, and the stylization for it. Uh, it just immediately sets the audience expectations um, for what's going to come. Uh, and an interesting note, um, I, I love the the contrast just in the cars that they had. That was, that was beautiful. Um, but an interesting note was that in this match, um, Darby actually has his full face painted, um, whereas normally he only has half his face painted. So he's uh, done that, in, I guess, as a sign of um, a, a sign of unity um, with with Sting. Uh, and yeah, I guess showing that he now feels like they're on a joint mission together um, and that they're in this together. So um, the the color eventually comes back. As I said, it was kind of black and white for Darby and sting's entrance but it sort of comes back on um but it's still very washed out um and 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 very gritty looking um but ultimately it is still a normal wrestling street fight like they they've got a ring set up in this warehouse um and and they there's a referee in there even as well um and and things kick off with sting grabbing darby and hurling him at starks and cage i love that like that's the first thing he does he just grabs him and, and yeets him at him um i don't even know if he he okayed that with darby but he just knows that darby's going to be fine with that um and and they immediately emphasize sort of the unique setting that they've got um with cage picking Darby up um, and hurling him into a wall that's like right next to the edge of the ring where they're at. Um, so immediately getting the environment um, being used. Uh, but Darby then, instead of getting thrown into it, he springboards off it and jumps back at Cage. Uh, so immediately using the environment to his advantage. Um, but Team Taz do take over early. Um, Starks starts beating down on Sting with Brian Cage um going through both Darby and like a whole heap of all of those masked people who accompanied Sting and Darby Allen to the ring. Um, I, I wanted to take a moment to talk about Cage. Um, we, we kind of have, have talked about him briefly. Um, he ta- he plays a really important role in, in early Team Taz stuff, but then, of course, uh, after he lost the FTW Championship, sort of disappeared off the screens. So I'm not sure how much we will even cover him on this podcast. Um, you, you've said you did you did like him. Um, what are your general thoughts on him, um, particularly his offense as well, which is on full display in, in this match? So... Like I said, I'm a fan of Brian Cage, um, Mr. Get My Spots In, um, as he's kind of been known from time to time. I watched him a lot in Lucha Underground uh, 
that's kind of where I became aware of him. And he he's such an imposing figure, but he can do so much in the ring. He can do your typical big man power moves, which in a match with two essentially cruiserweight like a Darby and Ricky Starks and a 62-year-old man who we don't know if he can actually still go, you need that element of true power in this match to make everything kind of work. Mm. Brian Cage is kind of a little bit of the glue that kind of holds this match together. You've got mm. If you've got Ricky Starks and Darby, you've got two cruiserweights who can go. They can do the technical stuff. They can do the high-flying stuff. Great. But I do like a little bit of power wrestling. And I do like the feeling of a Goliath final boss. And that's how Cage was originally presented in Team Taz. I mean, his original entrance before the music hit was Taz shouting out, who can stop the path of Cage? He was supposed to be the final boss of Team Taz. And they, early on, they portray him so well in that role. They go through several spots which just highlight what kind of a specimen he is. Um, I know you may touch on this a little bit later, but him deadlift suplexing Darby and walking up a flight of stairs later on in the match. One of the best spots I think I've seen in a long time. Um, And they love how they actually make use of the space. They don't just stay in the ring. I know it's a street fight, so you're going to come out to the outside. But they use a lot of this warehouse or undisclosed location. And Cage is the perfect vehicle from getting to point A, from point A to point B in this match. Because it's his power set pieces that set up the transitions to going to the next spot. Yeah. More than anyone else in AEW, I feel like Cage is a guy who's got lost in the shuffle and lost in the oh, growth. Yeah. Like, you could say Lance Archer maybe, um, but more like the upside of Brian Cage is huge. He is he has such a great look for a wrestler. Like I, I think I actually saw a tweet by him a couple of days ago, and I couldn't agree more with it. Where he said, "I was walking through the airport, and someone said to me, if you're not a wrestler, you've missed your calling in life.' And I could not agree more with that. He he uh-huh. is an absolute specimen, um, and he has an incredible move set as well, like a really great move set." But you can only have so many people pushed. Like, he's not a guy who can take losses like Ricky Starks can, for example. He's not a guy who, you know, you can just kind of have sitting there, thereabouts. He's either right up there and one of the biggest deals in your promotion, or you can't really use him. Um, And, you know, there's another world where maybe he gets like a TNT title run and and has a chance to really blow us all away. But he, he just didn't get that. Um, you know, he was and the I FTW champion, this. but I don't think he got a chance really to to display his wares fully with that. But And part of that is just there's only so many spots you can have in a wrestling organization. Uh, and unfortunately, I think Brian Cage has sort of gotten pushed out. Maybe they've got plans for him down the line because, as you said, like this is a guy who looks incredible, has incredible offense. But at the same time, like, I understand exactly why he isn't in that sort of position. Like, 
it's it's nothing that he's done really wrong necessarily. Like I don't think his face run worked particularly well and he's not great on the mic and AEW is a is a promotion where you've got to be able to talk a little bit. But he you know, you could have you could have it could have been accommodated if they'd wanted to, but I can understand why it hasn't how it hasn't worked out for Brian Cage. Um which is why I say like more than anyone else, I think he's a guy who's just purely been lost in the shuffle and the growth of the company. Um but yeah you're right. Like in this match he is he plays an absolute linchpin role in terms of the way the action moves about it it follows him and he is ultimately the big bad for his side he is the one that is the game changer for his team uh and and you know like that first you, you see the first pairing off it's starks working with sting which makes sense you know you've got someone who sting can sort of toss about a little bit early on get some moves on uh and Brian Cage and, and Darby Allen, they're like perfect opponents because they contrast in their look and size so well. Uh, and, and you know, Cage can really lay a beating on Darby Allen because Darby Allen takes a hell of a beating. And it looks so great when Darby Allen is able to fire back at Cage because of that size difference. Um, and, yeah, you're right. Like the, the match sort of moves on by Cage, like dragging Darby through this warehouse. And at one point, as you said, vertical suplexing him and walking up some stairs like he's absolutely nothing. It, it's it's a it's an incredible feat from a and you know you have to be absolutely strong as an ox to to be able to do that. Even though Darby Allen is a is a small bloke. Um, mm-hmm. what what did you think of sort of the pairings up? Um, you know you've got Starks in the ring with with Sting, uh, and then yeah, as we said, <laughs> Cage just sort of dragging dragging Darby off to the other end of the warehouse and eventually up up the stairs and and tossing him through a door. Well, um before I um talk about that, I will say just to add on you talking about Cage and his place and everything like that. Um I think I even talked with you kind of in our own private chats and everything like that. Essentially, Brian Cage has his spot's been usurped by Wardlow. You who and Miro. another and Miro, two big imposing guys who have a shockingly diverse moveset who like Cage can not only blow away with power, but can also hit some ridiculously athletic moves when they want to. They're mm. not just pigeonholed. All three men are not you you can't just pigeonhole them into one thing and say, Okay, this is what they are. Because then they'll come out and shock you with other things. But I just wanted to get that in. Like, mm. um, But in apart from moving back into uh, the actual match, it makes sense. The pairings make sense. You have David versus Goliath, the original crux of this story, with Darby Allen and Brian Cage. And you have Ricky Starks with Sting, who you couldn't have asked Sting to be put in much more safer hands than Ricky Stark, someone who's going to bump his ass off and make his, and make Sting's what we thought at the time, limited offense look like a billion dollars, but someone who's also going to throw some believable offense and credit to Sting Mm. for, you know, as hopefully this kind of assuages your fears, as you mentioned earlier, someone who wasn't afraid to sell for Ricky Starks' offense because 
Sting does sell a lot of Ricky Starks material. And I think that helps tie the match together. Um, mm. I do love how these um, transition. A lot of their transitions between switching up dance partners is kind of seamless. Eventually you get Ricky Starks and Darby having their little interlude and mm. Brian Cage and Sting having their interlude. I think uh, Darby Allen ends up Spider-Manning up a pole and hitting a coffin drop on Darby Allen through like a pallet or something like that. Uh, Ricky Starks catches him and they fall through a pallet mm. and then Brian Cage gets to show how powerful he is and why he needs to be thought of as a serious contender. He's now beat up Darby. Yeah. He's thrown him yeah. through doors. He's thrown him through walls. I'm surprised he didn't throw him through a window. That comes later, I know, with uh, Powerhouse Hobbs. But all four men get a chance to shine with the other people in the match, and I really liked how mm. they interspersed with yeah. each other. And then when you add Powerhouse Hobbs in, Powerhouse Hobbs doesn't seem like he's a fifth wheel there. He seems like he's integral. And Taz yeah, well, on commentary ties everything together. I wrote in my notes that anytime that um, Sting and Darby got the upper hand, Taz puts in a tour de force on commentary. He's like the homeless man's uh, Bobby Heenan in the 92 Rumble. Every time his boys are in trouble. No, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. We had a plan. We had a plan. Come on, guys. Come on. He really puts over not only his boys, but the seriousness of Darby and Sting. He does a phenomenal job on commentary. Yeah. So, I, I love sorry. how he's I love how he's so sure that they've got a plan. He like he like knows they've got an ace up their sleeve. He won't say what it is, but he just like keeps saying We've got a plan. We've got a plan. They'll stick to the plan. We'll get it done. <laughs> um, yeah. There's always and, a plan. Yeah. And you're right. Like to, to get rid of Brian Cage, Sting and Darby Allen have to like both together combine and put him through a table. Um, and that disables Sting as well. And that's when you get the, the, the back and forth that you mentioned with Starks and, and Darby, which is, you know, really good. But then the, the plan comes to fruition and you get a shirtless, hook um coming in and powerhouse hobbs as well um and then it's four on two um and and that obviously that was the that was the plan all along uh and and yeah as you said darby gets thrown through at that point um brian cage and powerhouse hobbs just pick darby up you know one each of them holding either his arms or his legs and just you know, sandbag him, sandbag toss him straight through some, a glass window frame, which like shatters as he goes through. And then as Darby Allen falls down, the wooden frame falls down and smacks him on the head. Um, how? What did you, you know, without going, I guess, too far down the line towards the end of this match, but what did you think of like the escalation of violence in this match? It made sense. Everything made sense in this match, and I think it was brilliantly shot. Also, credit to Powerhouse Hobbs. I think this is actually the first time in history that someone actually sent for Hook. So credit to Powerhouse <laughs> Hobbs for being a pioneer of our time. Credit to you, Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, thank you for sending Hook for the first time. Um, and this only added to the legend of Hook, seeing him with no shirt on coming out, because it was like, oh, oh not only is he good looking face, he's uh he's pretty pretty well put together himself for his for the for the rest of his body as well. <laughs> oh yeah. 
but everything made sense. They they didn't just go for the big spots early. And I love because, you know, it's a street fight. You know what you're getting. You're going to get plunder. You're going to get some insane spots. You're going to get a lot. You're to quote Jim Ross. It's going to be a bowling shoe ugly match for the most part. But they do a good job of tempering their bluster a bit and spreading out the spots. You got a table crash with Brian Cage and Sting, like you mentioned. Then you've got, you know, the first coffin drop. Then you've got the four-on-two beatdown. Then the swing into the glass, which that pane of uh, glass slash window, whatever it was, that just broke perfectly, I got to say. Mm. And then you get in towards the closing stretches and everything makes sense. There's a linear progression, which I've got yep. to give them credit for. Absolutely. Yeah. So as, as I said, they, they put him through that and then um, that leaves team Taz to, to fight sting. They're going sort of downstairs, back downstairs towards the ring. Um, you know, I guess at that point they smell that there's blood in the water and want to get it back to the ring so they can get the pin. Um and they got, you know, that's back down to the original warehouse space that they were in. Uh, and Cage, he's once again, he's the one that's leading the assault. Um, he is the the main guy in Team Taz at this point. Uh, and, and as I said, like, I think he plays a, a crucial part in this match. Um, and they've got the numbers advantage until Darby Allen, I, he's back up and he calls from above. And he calls out to the stinger and throws down the baseball bat. Um, and Sting's able to take advantage uh, he beats them with the baseball bat, and then he breaks it over the back of the machine, Brian Cage. Um, and then, you know, like, speaking of escalation of violence, they put Cage on this, like, wooden sort of contraption that's been set up between two, um, between the sort of the two rows that they've got in the warehouse that they've been going down. The And uh, Darby Allen, from the second story of this warehouse, I'm guessing probably about five five six meters up out of the window comes down with like i think it's meant to be a coffin drop he kind of comes down with an elbow but it's just an absolutely wild and crazy height to be jumping off um howard this is obviously a crazy moment like crazy move to do um but like one of the things i wanted to ask i guess does it have the same impact in you know this very stylized and cinematic match that they're having so the whole Dar rising up, throwing the bat to Sting, who basically Sting getting the bat, by the way, great catch Sting, but <laughs> it basically rejuvenates him like a goth-dressed Popeye. Because Sting is getting absolutely worn out by Team Taz, but all of a sudden the bat is like his spinach. And then all of a sudden <laughs> he comes alive. Also, that bat, once he, it's tw- he's had that bat for... 25 years now, Jimmy Cricket. It's been a while. Um, But that bat is technically the only bat that Sting has had. Technically, since his days fighting the NWO, the fact that that bat's had so many homers and yet gets broken off the back of a ground rule double, essentially off of Cage's back, that's what causes the bat to break. I don't know whether that says something for the bat or Cage's back. Still not sure which. Um, (laughs) But then that that elbow coffin drop thing that uh, Darby does, and you see Sting just look because essentially you don't know where they are 
honestly, none of us do. But Sting just looks down the bottom, just goes, all right, then goes back to the ring. Okay, we got business to take care of. We'll find out if Darby and Cage are alive late. We, we'll find out. They, they should be okay. They just fell five stories or something like that, three or four stories. They'll be fine. They're protected. Let's. We got a match to finish. Let's go. Yeah, I guess it speaks to the trust that Sting has built up, and the, he he knows that Darby would. Darby's given him this moment. Um, he's taken out Brian Cage, who is, has been the difference maker for his team. Um, he's taken out the guy that has been able to beat both of them down, uh, and he has been able to um move. Yeah, he's he's been able to take out the difference maker, and he knows that Darby Allen has sacrificed himself so that he can then go on and get the win. Uh, and it does leave him alone um, with Ricky Starks, which I love that mo- sort of. It, it's it's a moment of trust. It's a moment in their relationship um, where Darby Allen is giving. He's got the trust in Sting to to take out Starks, uh, and and Sting is not immediately concerned with Darby Allen because he knows that this is what Darby would have wanted him to do. Um, and yeah, I, there is, they both Starks and Sting get back to the ring. I do like that. There's a little bit back and forth, including Sting hitting like a reverse victory roll <laughs> to as a counter to a power bomb, 62 year old Sting doing that um, and gets a close two off that. Uh, how, Ever. It, it is relatively quick once they get back in the ring. Um, they don't muck about. Sting quickly gets the Scorpion death drop, uh, and the match finishes with like a close up of Sting looking, you know, really badass. Uh, an extreme close up of Sting looking really badass. What did you think of the ending moments, Howard? I loved it. Um, specifically, all credit to Ricky Starks for being a master of psych- in ring psychology. Um, in this match, even if it's a cinematic match, one of the clo- spots in the closing moments that stuck out with me was the stinger splash that Starks avoids, but he waits until the last possible second, and as he leaves, he takes the turnbuckle pad off, and Sting catches it full on in his sternum, and I loved how Ricky waited until the literal last possible second to move because it added so much. Ricky knew what was coming. He's watched enough tape of Sting. He knows the splash is coming, so you know what? We're going to make him pay. And he thought that might be enough. But then the wily veteran Sting manages to come back. And as much as theoretically, honestly, once again, as I'm a big Sting and Darby Allen fan. You could argue that Team Taz needed this win more after the weeks of the repetitive one beat beatdowns, but they the ending gave credit to the work that all four men put in, and the ending felt earned, if that makes any sense. Yep. Um, it wasn't Sting just squashing Ricky Starks mm. for the sake of squashing him. They fought, and you know Ricky never gave up. It was Sting having to use his ingenuity to beat Ricky, not oh Sting's just gonna win because lol legend wins mm. so i really appreciated that yeah i i'm glad you mentioned that thing that ricky starks did he does a one of the reasons i like ricky starks he does a lot of little things well like that you know 
one of the things that's great about that is he doesn't make Sting look like an idiot because he waits until Sting's launched himself. So Sting can't change his directory because he's in flight. He's coming in for a splash. He waits until Sting moves. There's plenty of other wrestlers who will have moved way well before Sting's launched himself. And that just makes the wrestler who's running at the turnbuckle look silly. You know, another little thing I love that Ricky Starks does, he does it's not in this match, but just a thing that he indulged me for a minute <laughs> is watch him, watch him when he, when they do the drop down, run the drop down and run sequence and the leapfrog sequence, he throws himself at his opponent's feet. Cause he's actually trying to trip the opponent, which is what's meant to be happening in that, that sort of sequence, which happens, you know, in nearly every match, um and and so often he's just contrived and we've just sort of accepted it but ricky starks he just makes sure he gets that gets that right um so you you're right to to shout out ricky starks there heartily endorsed by me but yeah look i i like that this bit didn't stick around too much you know you did get one little false false moment um but you know the biggest spot in this match has already happened with darby allen jumping down to to take out brian cage uh, they didn't need to spend too long on this. Uh, they just they gave one moment of doubt and quickly overcome, and then Sting hits the hits the moment hits hits his finish and uh, and and it's over. Uh, what what did you think of I guess the overall presentation uh, of this match? You know the aesthetics of it, the the way it was shot the sort of grainy gritty style that it was done in what what did you think of it overall i've got to say this is one of the better cinematic matches that were done um credit to companies like AEW and wwe and others for finding a way around the uh no fans allowed in the arenas and getting creative doing it um Mag matches kind of became the, you know, the scapegoat and everything like that. They became the quick fix for how to tell a story that you wanted to throw a little bit more smoke and mirrors. And this out of there were so many cinematic matches and everything like that. Mm-hmm. This is arguably in the top half of worked and shot cinematic matches. I'm not going to say it's the best one. Because that one happened, my personal favorites, the Firefly Funhouse in WWE. But in terms of the ones that AEW did, this is right up there. It's top two, top three. Mm. Um, like I said, overall, like you said, the gritty nature. This isn't meant to be a wrestling match. This isn't meant to be a fight. Like you'd see out in the streets and stuff like that. Once the bars closed down and, you know, people have had too much to mm. drink. This isn't meant to be some sort of spectacular. We got four men that don't like each other. Let's let them fight. Let's yep. let them do it safely. Um, overall, really well done. And also a credit to an AEW Revolution card that, you know, was kind of hit or miss, but was overall a solid card. Mm. So. Yeah, this is this is very much a Darby Allen production in terms of the way it looks. Mm-hmm the way it's stylized, um, you know, even, you know, like you've got the goobers sort of going in with their masks and they sort of disappear. I don't know what happens to them at the end, but it's kind of a movie as well. So they can kind of just disappear and that's all right. Um, right. You know, one thing, one thing, a couple of things I really like about it 
um, its structure. Uh, so it, it's structured very well uh, in terms of even though it's, as I said, it's a it's like a Darby Allen production, of course. It's very much about Sting. Um, this this is a match that's centered around Sting. Um, Brian Cage is the main antagonist, um, and he has to be ta- he's the one that has to be taken out. He's the damage dealer, but Sting is always the one who is making the saves. Um, he is always nearly always the one that's evening the score, except for when Darby Allen um, does that final jump to to sacrifice himself and let Sting pick up the win. It's always Sting on his side who is making the save, evening the score, which is perfect. For this, for this match, which is the return of Sting to the ring, his debut match in AEW, um, this this could have been his last match in AEW as well, uh, and it is a match that is centered around him, and that is the right thing to do uh, in this in this instance, uh, and, and and I really like that structure that that you mentioned. Um, in terms of, I guess, comparison to other AEW matches. Um, this is not something that's been, that's like played for gags. And I think that's a good thing in this case. Um, you know, like I love the stadium stampede. That's one of my absolute favorite matches. And I wouldn't say that I like this one more than stadium stampede, but it is different. And it is the right, the right thing to do for this match was to play it completely straight. And that's what they did. Oh, wholeheartedly agreed. Um, I said this um, in replying to the review of that match um, a while ago, and I'll say it again. Stadium Stampede felt like a COVID-induced fever dream. Um, And I mean that in the best possible way. That was a phenomenal match. It's the best cinematic match AEW did. Stadium Stampede won. Um, Like you said, this match... I'm glad they didn't play it for gags or anything like that. This was supposed to be serious. They played it as such, and they did a great job. So I wholeheartedly agree with your statement. Yeah, and look, I guess to take it and, and compare it with other ones, because um, I'm i probably not as high on the cinematic matches uh, as, as some people are, I'm probably more so than others. I guess I'm in the middle somewhere. I, I, I really liked this one. I loved Stadium Stampede, but I disliked a lot of what was done. Um, the the most, I guess the closest I would compare this to, to another one that got done um, in 2020 would be the Boneyard match by the, with The Undertaker. Uh, in, in terms of, it it's played very straight. It does have that music underneath it, but and it's very heavily stylized. Um, but at the same time, it, it's done with a very a very specific goal in mind. In that case, it was to make to make the Undertaker look like an absolute badass, to to look like the American badass. And you know, AJ Styles and the Good Brothers did an incredible job in doing that, and the WWE production did a did an incredible job in in sort of making that happen as well. And I think that's what this was, but for AEW and with Sting instead of the Undertaker. Um, what what do you think of that comparison? What did you think of the Boneyard match? Overall, I think it's pretty um, on the nose, and I think that it's honestly hilarious that we're comparing The Undertaker and Sting once again, <laughs> uh, because that's over the last half of their careers, that's all anyone ever did. The dream match was always Sting versus Undertaker, 
And now we're talking about cinematic matches and essentially, once again, we're comparing them. Um, I think you're right on the nose there. Um, sure, both matches had their little comedy spots that were played for levity and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, everyone played it straight and they were used as vehicles to get over these uh, old gunslingers in the Undertaker's case one last time. For Sting, this was a setup for something that none of us expected. Um, like you said, this could have been his last match, and honestly, I would have been okay with that. But then you look at what he's done since, in the year and a half since that match, and the fact that he's putting in some of the, if not the best work of his career, of his 30, almost 40-year career, is absolutely astounding. And it's he's now 63 years old, and no one could have expected this. So I think it's a credit. I think the uh, Boneyard match was a credit to WWE's production team on how everything they shot and how everything made sense there. Even the spooky stuff made sense. Mm. And it's a credit to AEW's production team that everything here made sense. Mm. Um, Both companies are really good at telling a story when they want to. And both knocked it out of the park. Once again, I hate saying it, but of the two, I like. I like the Firefly Funhouse match more on WrestleMania <laughs> weekend. I love the absolute absurdity of that one. But I still have an, the utmost amount of respect for the Boneyard match. Because the one thing that we were truly missing from Undertaker's waning months and years was a return to the American Badass. And they tie off that perfectly. Mm. Whereas Sting is now your Clint Eastwood character. He's that old man that you know is eventually going to be put down by a young gun, but he's not going to do it quietly. Yeah. And with every match that he's done, you look at matches like, uh, I want to say it was Double or Nothing 2021, that tag match with Men of the Year um, and Darby Allen, where he's jumping off the stage onto Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. Mm. And him doing these dives off of the concourses through tables and ridiculous matches yeah sting please be careful i beg you steve borden the man please be careful (laughs) like but the fact that he's doing it and it also speaks to the level of talent that AEW has at its disposal and the amount of trust that everyone has in each other that he's willing to put his body on the line for these spots. I mean, you look at, I never expect, and I hope I'm right about this. When it comes to this AEW sting, I don't want him title. I just want him to be that continuing mentor. And I love that we're on that track. Darby Allen is the star of the two, Mm. the future star, the person that you need to be building around. And they seem to be doing it. And honestly, I wouldn't, Mind, I know I'm probably getting way too far into this, but I kind of hope there's one day where Darby ends up leaving Sting. I'd like to see how that plays out because eventually Sting's going to have to retire. He's going to have to leave, you know, 
and enjoy the rest of his golden years with his wonderful family. Um, I think about his article in the Players' Tribune a while ago, um, a couple of months ago, and how he's reformed his life and how it could have been over in around the time WCW was purchased. And I'm in awe of how he was able to turn his life around and find and silence his own personal demons so that he could be a better role model for the stars coming up today. And I think that's above all else. That's why I was kind of interested to see why he was paired up with Darby because Darby can be that reckless guy and Sting Mm. will allow him to be that reckless guy. But Sting is also his grounder to let him know like, okay, you can do all this, but also, you know, let's also build towards the future because there's Mm. money on you. And I love that dichotomy. Like, like he's a he's a father with his young, reckless son. (laughs) And, Eventually, most uh, most young kids eventually rebel against their parents. I'm interested mm. to see they go that route. And, you know, I'm kind of interested to see. I know this is completely going off track, and I apologize for kind of hijacking this. But I'd be interested to see Alan heel turn almost because he is a phenomenal baby face i will root for darby allen every day of the week and twice on sundays because he just has that innate charisma and that innate mm. ability like you said to work with a guy like you'd said earlier with a guy like john moxley and have it be seamless to work with guys like joey janella but also to step into a ring with guys like mjf i remember his match i think it was with mjf to where both men had something to prove like Mm. They both wanted to be known as professional wrestlers, not just these guys with character that couldn't go in the ring. And both men showed out. But uh, it'll be interesting to see where they move forward. I don't yeah. know if that was coming at all. So, I, <laughs> If if they wanted to turn Darby Allen heel, which I I don't know why you'd want to do that, to be honest. But I don't. Other than, other than just to, to see what it would be like. But I... <laughs> One of AEW's problems actually is they're so good at building faces that their heel their heel side is really quite shallow at the moment. But but I, I don't think Darby Allen would be close to the the top of that list that of people you might turn heel. But I mean that's an that's an open goal there with Sting, right? Like that's something that they could easily do if they wanted to to get him to I don't know why he would do that. Like there'd have to be some sort of character reason as to why he would do that. But it's an open goal, right? Like if they wanted to turn Darby Allen heel, then having him attack Sting would be something they could do. I guess to get back to I I said I don't think they should do it and I don't know why they would, but it's something they could do if they wanted to. Getting it back to this, I guess and, and back to Sting and Darby, like as I said, I was really hesitant with Sting coming to AEW. That was there was red flags going off in my mind, and I didn't like the partnership he had with Darby Allen. But you know what? I was absolutely wrong on on both fronts. I was I should have tried. I and I I mean I guess I did trust AEW, but AEW have shown how they can get it right, um, and how you can book a veteran uh, and have him in like a a role that elevates the people that are around him you know he still gets to 
you know, he gets that shot of adrenaline every now and again. He will fire up and he will make a difference in a match. But he's not the star. He's not winning titles. And he's not making guys who, you know, he's not making stars. He's making, you know, maybe some tag team wrestlers or whatever. Um, But he's not making stars look like idiots or look like they're lesser than. He will have that burst of energy and that burst of adrenaline where everything comes back to him. But he he's not the guy who is the absolute dominant force, um, who is overwhelming the people that are around him. Uh, and, and I've come around on the relationship he has with Darby Allen. I think it's it's actually really quite a quite a good relationship, quite a heartwarming one. They've obviously got, and, and as I said, part of that was watching this match and how. You see the trust that they've built up in one another. Um, Darby Allen's trust in Sting to finish the match. Sting's, you know, acceptance of Darby Allen for who he is. Um, he's not trying to stop him being who he is. Um, he's accepting of that, and he is supportive of him, and he wants to get him through it. So, and this match was a big part of that. Um, this match was a big part in in showing me, and 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 giving me, I guess, hope that they would get this so right. And I think that's what they've done uh, since since this has happened. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a fan of this match. It's not my favourite match ever, but you know I really enjoyed rewatching it, uh, and I and I really enjoyed going back to it. Uh, and and you know if they wanted to do it again with Sting, they absolutely could. But it's it's crazy how this bloke who's 62 has had more more. He's got more fuel in the tank than I think even he thought he had. Uh, and, uh, and, and he is, you know, having an absolute blast by the looks of things when he's out there. Uh, and, and the crowd is having an absolute blast watching him, I guess, have this second life, if you will, uh, on TV, uh, that, you know, he didn't think he would get. Wholeheartedly agree. Um, it's been wonderful to see Sting with this run. Um, it's a good way to close the book on sting i think mm. um yeah, know, if he retires like, in if he retires in like a year or two's time absolutely he okay. has had a tremendous few years in AEW, uh and and he can go off and be with his family and and that's absolutely fantastic and i'm sure like i'm sure he feels a bit fulfilled because he was not a guy who like i don't i don't like to read motives into and and i don't know him but he was not a guy who wanted to go to WWE. He he held out for so long and he eventually succumbed. I guess he thought it's never going to happen. Like the re- I, I can only imagine the reason he eventually ended up with WWE was because he thought nothing's ever going. Like the WWE is going to be wrestling from here on. And fortunately, the right storm of things happened. And he's been able to be a part of that, which I think is quite magical for him uh, and and probably very fulfilling for him as a person as well. This match and his subsequent matches in AEW have shown why he was a fan. It's kind of his run in AEW has reinvigorated and reminded me why I was a fan back when he had the blonde flat top haircut and the multicolored (laughs) swirl face paint. Battling with Kinsuke Sasaki in Starcade 95, and then the 
year and a half, two years long battle with the NWO. I'm not going to talk about red and black Wolfpack NWO. You can't make me. Um, <laughs> but then his run in TNA where admittedly, I hate saying it should not have been the world champion stuff like that kind of diluted my, you know, he'll always be my favorite, but I'm going to move away. I was stunned when he came to WWE. I think I marked out for about 20 solid minutes when he made his debut at the Survivor Series and helped Dolph Ziggler win that. Uh, and that was incredible. Match. And I actually liked the Triple H match as well. It is good, but oh, Jiminy Christmas was that overbooked. Oh, Jiminy Christmas. Like, I love that he got his WrestleMania-like match. Because that's one of the few things that was left on his wrestling bingo card mm. and everything on his checklist. Um, I liked the match up until it became overbooked with DX versus the NWO. Because, in my opinion, it actually didn't need that. Triple H and Sting are two good enough workers that they could have told a brilliant story on their own. Um, but that being said... It's still a nice bit of memorabilia. His matches with Seth Rollins are great pieces of memorabilia um, of wrestling history. And, you know, I was sad when he retired. I understood why he retired and everything. And to this day, I'm pretty sure that, you know, everyone in that match kind of wishes that things would have turned out differently. Mm. I also think that, you know, maybe the re and why Sting is back in AEW is because he kind of wanted to go out on his own terms. Mm. You see guys that have come back from neck injuries, like Edge, who came back from that miraculous neck injury they had that kept him off the shelf for nine years. I think, especially in the social media age that we live in, it's not enough to have your matches on videotape and on YouTube anymore to have people remember you by. You want to... You want to be able to go out on your own terms. Mm. And I think that's what this career I, you know, once again, I don't know Sting and I'll never pretend to know him. But I'd like to think that this is his way of going out on his own terms mm. uh, when eventually whenever that is. And this is a he wanted to write one final chapter for himself. Mm. And man, am I loving the story that he's writing. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think it's been a longer chapter than he thought he'd write, which is a nice oh, thing. Yeah, a nice thing for him. Well, Howard, else, Sam? <laughs> no, I was I was just thinking we have talked and talked, and it's been great. Um, I've really loved going back and watching this match. Uh, I don't know how many more cinematic matches we'll do here on the podcast. Uh, there hasn't really been too many since since COVID finished. Um, there was the Stadium Stampede two, um, which didn't actually make any of the lists. And I didn't really like, so I don't think I'll be going back and watching that. Um, so this maybe this will be the last cinematic match we review on the podcast. Who knows? Uh, but look, I I appreciate you coming on, making some time today. Um, if people want to talk to you about this match or anything AEW or wrestling, then please tell them where you can find where they can find you. So I'm on Twitter at Howard underscore E underscore Shill. Um, I love talking about wrestling, obviously, sports, um, Disney. I'm working my way through uh, Disney Culinary School, so I, if anyone wants to talk cooking or anything like that in addition to wrestling, you know, 
I'm open ears and everything like that. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Howard, um, at Howard Schilling on Instagram. Um, you'll see a lot of Disney posts. So if you're not into Disney, probably not the thing for you. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on again, Sam. Um, shout out really quick um, to the Wrestling Headlines uh, Collins Forum. Right now, uh, we're doing the uh, all-time wrestling draft, and the group of people, including Sam uh, and myself, Ms. Fan, uh, James Boyd, Rich Lotta type, everyone, and Jay Cool and everyone there, they're putting together some phenomenal shows. I'm so glad that I'm part of that, and if anyone goes over to the Wrestling Headlines columns forum in the near future, um, or by the time this is recorded, if you haven't already done so, go back and uh, take a look. I'm sure the cards are going to be phenomenal, um, and I can't wait to see what everyone's put out. So, yeah, great shout out there. That's been a lot of fun. Um, something we do every year for wrestling headlines. I think this might be the last we do it for a little while, but um, a, a draft with a bunch of people, and it's been great having you in that as well, Howard. So that's at uh, wrestlingheadlines.com, and you can go to the you can click the forum tab to go in there uh, and you'll be able to find the the card. We've drafted rosters uh, and you'll be able to find our cards on the forum there uh, and, and have a read. Let us know what you think. Uh, and if you're ever in Disney World and you find yourself getting a, a prime rib, chances are it's Howard's that's cutting it off for you. So um, so make sure you say Shout g'day to him Crystal there. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, but look, I am Sir underscore Samuel on Twitter if you want to come and talk to me. Uh, and it's been a pleasure having you on, Howard. It's been a pleasure having people listen. As I said at the start, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review it on your podcast app of choice, be it Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever you use. Please rate and review it. That just helps more people find the show. And if you would like to support us financially, you can donate at Red Circle. There is a link in the description of this podcast. Uh, and all of that just goes to supporting the podcast, supporting paying for things like audio hosting equipment all that sort of stuff uh, so all of that is much appreciated but more than anything else i appreciate you for listening every week of this podcast it's a thrill to make it i always love digging into these matches uh, and i can't wait to do it again next week and i will see you all then bye